Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be breaking down Sister Wives Season 4, Episode 10, Brown Family Confessions. This episode, Cody praises Leo, calling them obedient. That's Cody's high praise to his child. And as we recall from later seasons of Sister Wives, Cody refers to his favorite wife and now only wife, Robin, as the obedient wife. He tries to get Janelle to morph into this wife. He praises Robin, calling her the obedient wife, wishing the rest of his wives were as obedient. And he wants Janelle to be more like Robin. And his praise to Leo is that they are obedient to him this episode. It's not, I love how compassionate my child is. I love how kind they are, how caring, how smart, how inquisitive. I love how they obey me. I love how they submit to me, how I am their authority. They submit to. That's Cody's compliment. That's Cody's praise for his child this episode. This man praising his wife as being obedient and praising his kid as being obedient shows Cody's character. He praises that they listen to him. They submit to him. And that says a lot about Cody and his ego. It's about how they make him feel powerful, how they make him feel like the leader, how they make him feel in control. These aren't actual compliments that are traits or characteristics that are individual and personalized to that other person. It says quite a bit about Cody and his ego. Telling a wife or child they are obedient as praise, as a quality to aspire to for everyone else, really shows the level of delusion of this man, his need for control, his belief that a man, a father, a husband should be the dominant leader, the absolute patriarch who controls everything. That's antiquated. It's backwards. It's wrong. And more than anything, that says a lot about the framework of Cody's mentality. If we look at Kotex praising his child as obedient and we look at him praising his favorite wife, Robin, as obedient, the wife who manages him as her best customer, an example for his now ex-wife Janelle to look up to, to emulate, for her to become more obedient, more submissive. And we combine that with Cody always having to announce that he's an alpha male when it's obvious he isn't. It just makes him look like a fool. And we see Cody's lack of awareness, his lack of self-awareness, and his need for control. And it throws all the ingredients into the mix for toxicity. And that toxicity has eroded every facet of this guy's life. It's broken down Cody's family. Calling a child obedient isn't praise. He is praising his child for uplifting his fragile ego by being submissive to him and making him feel important and powerful and authoritative. Obedience isn't a quality that is innate and special to his child or his wife that serves them and is individual to them. It's a quality in them that is convenient for Kotex that serves him and his ego. And that's why he praises it. I found that disturbing. Also, we learned this episode that Logan is kissing girls, the charlatan. And Cody warns Logan against it. The evil hormones will mix into his spit when he kisses these girls and he might take things a bridge too far with the kissing. Never mind that this kid is probably almost 18 and he is already much wiser and more self-aware than his dad is at 50 plus. Logan is a responsible kid. He was parentified at a young age. He's very mature and he's very enmeshed in the family. He was mature at this point and he was wise beyond his years. If anything, Logan could probably teach a thing or two to his father about being a man and being a family member, frankly. We also learn that Robin is the bedroom wife this episode and I'll get into that in a little bit. Let's get into this episode, season four, episode 10, Brown Family Confessions where the adults and some of the older teens sit down to answer viewer questions. There is a sex question, and of course, everyone gets bent out of shape as usual. Four women can share one dick, 
Of course, they don't go weird, guys. No menages on the horizon. Strictly one-on-one in each relationship. But God forbid these people call sex sex or answer any questions about it. It's disrespectful. It's beyond the pale. But it's totally okay, guys, for four women to share one husband and share one dick in the name of God. Amen, amen, amen. Just don't call sex sex. It's intimacy. It's private. The episode opens with a viewer, Ernesto, asking if the kids are dating yet. Robin has her suspicions. She is sitting right by Logan. I mean, they are hip to hip. And she asks him if he is getting serious. Wise old Logan lets Robin know you get burned when you get serious. Mary asks Logan if he is kissing yet, and he has. And then he notices that that's going to create an uproar, and he changes his answer to no jokingly. Cody warns Logan, kisses have a price. And Robin asks Logan if he is being careful. Logan asks her what that is even supposed to mean. Logan diverts, and he asks, what about the others? Aspen, Maddie, Leo, or McKelty. Aspen tells Logan she just hangs out. She doesn't date. Leo says the last time they were alone with a boy, it was on accident. And here, Cody points at Leo and he calls them the obedient child right there. Mary points out that dates can still be safe. She's just saying. And Cody agrees. He says that's the reason Mom and dad want to be involved in the kids dating up until they are 21. Maddie corrects her dad that it's until they are 18. Cody explains that he feels like because his kids are under his roof until they are 18, he should know if his kids are dating and if they are kissing. At this, a teenage Maddie rolls her eyes. Now, ideally, if you have kids... You want to have a connection with them and a relationship where they want to be open with you about their relationships and the stages of those relationships. But teenagers are going to kiss. And Cody puts so much emphasis on wanting to know everything. And it doesn't seem he has taken time to build those relationships and those deep connections with each of his teenagers. And he's controlling and weird as fuck about it. Your kid will get heartbroken. At some point in their life, they will experience a bad relationship. They will be hurt by someone at some point. You can warn them. You can try to protect them. But ultimately, they have to experience life. You can't shelter everything. You have to let people grow. And the way Cody approaches it, I doubt his daughters would really ever feel comfortable to tell Cody, this is my boyfriend. We kiss. We do this or that. No teen is going to do that. And if they do divulge info, it would be based on years of previously developing a strong relationship with your child, a connection where they feel safe and they feel the parent won't freak out on them or overreact. Cody seems like he will freak out over the slightest thing and he'll get bent out of shape over the most minor thing. I get that Kotex wants to protect his kids from hurt. Ultimately, but the bumps you get along the way are ultimately normally what help you grow in the end. And Cody's way of doing things isn't going to get him the open communication and trust and the connection he wants with his kids, especially his older kids and his teens. Cody tells his teens he feels like he has the right to know and he adds that he will be very cool about it. But if they are kissing a girl or boy, He should know and he should be able to counsel them on the wisdom. Cody wants his teens to understand that these things have consequences sometimes. And sometimes they're minor consequences, but there are consequences. The teens all look mortified. And if Cody thinks his teenagers are going to tell him every time they kiss someone to seek his wisdom, he's delusional especially when he hasn't fostered those connections and those relationships with them. Next, a viewer, Shauna, asks, compared to living in Utah, how the community in Vegas differs when it comes to accepting their family's choices and religion. 
Logan doesn't think people outrightly judge them in Utah, but people care less what people do in Vegas. Cody thinks they are judged less in Vegas, and Aspen thinks people are much more easygoing in Vegas than they are in Utah. Cody says they are less judgy in Vegas, and in Vegas there is a sense of live and let live. The people of Vegas are comfortable with the Browns' choices compared to Utah. The general attitude in Vegas is live and let live. It's a different attitude. It's a different vibe. A viewer asks what the issue or topic is that the family butts heads on the most. And Maddie says there are lots of issues they butt heads on. A plethora, I'm sure. Cody wants Maddie to name a couple issues. Maddie throws out church. And Cody asks Maddie how they disagree on church. Leo looks down. McKelty raises her eyebrows. It's definitely an issue. Maddie explains to her dad she just doesn't like going to church. Aspen says it's because her dad is cranky during church. And McKelty says, or he is crying during church. Her dad is either cranky or he is crying during their family church. Now, of course, we all remember the family's version of church. And one of the times on the show, as I recall, Christine had a very profound sermon where she said, God has a phone number. And she held up a piece of paper with the number to God. And it read, Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. Who would want to miss that sermon? So moving, so soulful. Jesus is God's number, people. If you need a call, call J-E-S-U-S. Leo, the obedient child, defends their dad. As everyone is chuckling, Leo thinks that their dad is cranky during church because the kids complain too much. What a fucking goody two shoes. You know how there's always one kid in class that just has to be the teacher's pet? They just have to. Leo seems like one of those people, at least back then. Janelle explains in a flashback saying that the family has to take extra effort to maintain the religious continuity in their family in Vegas. Janelle is shouting in this flashback scene for Madison to get ready for church. Maddie is at the top of the stairs and Janelle asks her, honestly, really? And Maddie says she didn't even know church was this morning. She forgot. Maddie appears like she clearly has zero intention of going. Janelle begs Maddie, honestly, please. Maddie reluctantly says, fine, but you can tell her heart's not in it. If Maddie already knows she isn't into this faith and she doesn't want to be there, she is being dragged to make her body sit in a chair there where she won't engage or be receptive. Her heart isn't there. Why make her go? What's the point exactly? Janelle explains that the issue they butt heads on the most is trying to make the teenagers do something. Logan explains that what the teenagers want and what the adults want is what they butt heads on the most. Robin needs attention here, so she thinks she's being cute. And with sarcasm, she says, Oh my gosh, that's such a new idea. Teens butting heads with their parents when Logan expresses himself. Seriously, imagine you are born into a family that follows this obscure religion and there are four moms and dad enmeshed in a culture that is very different from the way most of the world lives. And then the family moves to Vegas completely away from that community and that culture and they are exposed to a different culture and different ideas and a different way of living. And they see other teens with parents who grew up in the real world, not in a subculture, who think differently, who raise their peers differently, who give their kids a lot more freedom. And these parents have a wider worldview and a wider perspective. And imagine being stuck in this system with parents who have that different closed subculture mindset. So what Logan is saying is common everywhere. Teens will constantly butt heads with their parents anywhere in the world, but it's probably worse and more magnified in a situation like this. Christine says that she doesn't butt heads often with Aspen 
And McKelty thanks her mom for that because, of course, McKelty's sitting there. Everyone laughs, and of course we know McKelty is a very free spirit, and she has a unique personality. So that combined with this system that she grew up in probably created some extra friction for her growing up. The next question asks Cody realistically how he would feel about his daughters being in a marriage with several wives. Now, Cody thinks if they marry the right person and they have the right sister wives, they will be very happy. He says who they marry will be the single most important decision they make in their lives. This question sparks a mission statement, a thesis, a dissertation from Cody. Cody goes on and on incessantly about this. Cody says he hopes that his daughters marry for love and for happiness to somebody who had ability and skill and a brain and an education and an ability to make money who can take care of them well and make them happy, who also has a strong heart and ability to justify all the things they do in life. And this is verbatim, and Cody goes on. He says, they will be the most decent citizens and raise the best children that can be raised by the ability they have and the skill they have in relationships. Now, everyone's laughing, of course, at Cody's long-winded bullshit. Maddie doesn't even think Logan lives up to all that, and everyone congratulates Cody. Everyone's laughing at his verbosity. Robin claps, Logan claps, everyone cheers. That was great, they tell the used car salesman. Janelle jokes that they will put that list on the door. I'm surprised they didn't include that in the family mission statement that they concocted later. Mary doesn't think Cody is done elucidating yet. He just had to take a breath and she tells Cody to go on. So Cody explains that he is a very tolerant man, but for a son-in-law, his expectation is very high. This man, this deplorable husband and substandard father who is so wrapped up in his ego and delusion and paranoia that won't be convinced to do things most fathers and husbands would do, who is so out of touch that he forgets his children's birthdays, their ages, that he avoids anyone who won't bend the knee to him, that he misses major surgery for his kids, has high standards for his daughter's husbands. From what we have seen of Caleb, he is definitely superior to Cody as far as the type of man he is, the type of father he seems to be, the type of husband he seems to be. I noticed he's very concerned about Christine's emotions when she visits. He's very in tune. He's a very caring and genuine guy. He's very self-aware. He's like the opposite of Cody. And Cody kind of seems to have like a man crush on Caleb. Janelle jokes that only the brave need apply to marry their daughters. Robin has to be a part of this, of course. So she mimics Janelle and she basically repeats what Janelle says with only the brave step forward because she has to say something. She has to be heard. Dana has a question next and she asks how moving to Vegas has changed the family dynamic. The kids all look serious and we know Cody isn't as invested by Vegas with all of his kids and with all of his wives. And we know he does the most for Robin and that, of course, she is very needy along with her kids. So most of Cody's time and effort is placed there by this point. And of course, Cody wants to be there where it is convenient for him and he gets the best customer service. He gets customer service to death over there. And of course, that's what Cody likes. Christine answers this one and she says, Moving to Vegas has certainly had its challenges. And she says living in four separate homes is a huge challenge. Getting the family together, doing things is much harder in Vegas. Logan liked it more when they were all much closer together. Logan guesses that they don't have to all be under one roof, but the concept of being closer together so dad can see them all more often Logan would really like that more. Aspen feels that it's harder because they don't ever see dad now. They see him for less time than they did when they lived in Utah. And she thinks it's because they just don't live close enough in the four separate rentals in Vegas. They flash back to Utah and scenes of Cody 
playing and interacting with all of his kids. And Robin adds that she definitely sees a huge difference in the family dynamic. And she points out what she wanted when she first wanted to become part of the family is slowly slipping away from them. She says they definitely need to be closer. Notice for Robin, it's about what she wanted and how this affects her. It's not really about the kids getting to see their dad or the rest of the family. And obviously she's the needy one and her kids and her monopolize all of Cody's time or most of Cody's time because Christine revealed in an earlier episode that Cody has to spend a lot more time over there because Robin has so many needs. And all that time Cody spent and all that effort Cody spent meeting Robin's needs detracted from the effort and time he was able to put in his relationship with Christine. And Christine was warning him, this is really affecting our relationship. It's decimating our marriage. And Cody still didn't stop. And Robin was still a damsel in distress. And her kids, of course, were very needy as well. Now, we know for a time that McKelty lived with Robin or she helped Robin out. I don't know if she lived there or if she just was there often where she helped with the kids and she did cleaning and stuff like that. And we know she feels very close to Robin because Robin was at her birth. And McKelty points out here that she feels closer to Robin's kids, mostly Brianna. And McKelty says in Utah, when Cody started courting Robin, she didn't feel close to Robin or her kids. She didn't feel any sort of bond, like they could even be potential family. But here in Vegas, since they moved to Vegas, McKelty feels she spiritually has a connection to Brianna and all of Robin's kids. McKelty feels like Brianna is her sister. She feels close to her and she feels like a part of her. McKelty feels very close to Brianna. They have a big family bond and a completely spiritual bond as well. McKelty starts crying as she says this and Robin does too. Cody says it's cool that there are benefits to being in Vegas, but the one major correction they need to make is the four homes being so far apart. The next question asks, with all the kids being different ages, if the boys look after the girls as big brothers. So Cody asks Logan if he is protective of his sisters. Logan says yes, and Maddie recalls being five and her dad and mom were out of town and they were sitting together and Maddie told Logan she was scared and Logan told her he wasn't scared of anything and Maddie asked not even tornadoes because she was scared of tornadoes and Logan told Maddie he would protect her from everything. And at this, Cody says that Logan is the perfect oldest child. Next, a viewer asks, what the children request the most to eat from any of the moms. And it's Christine's mock tapioca pudding. It's Christine's specialty. It's a breakfast cereal, apparently like cream of wheat. And every time she makes it, she makes two massive pots and it gets devoured. The next question asks if in moving from Utah to Vegas, has the temptation changed the family at all with the drinking and the gambling and the hookers? The viewer asking the question wants to know if any of the kids or the family have been tempted at all to do any of the things. Cody asks the teens if there are more temptations at school in Vegas than there were in Utah. Logan says it's a lot more prevalent in Vegas. Maddie feels like alcohol and drugs are more accessible in Vegas, but it was put in front of her more in Utah. Aspen feels the kids in Vegas being more excessive with their partying, makes her want to be better. Maddie says, in Vegas, the bad kids are the party kids. And Cody explains that the lines were more blurred in Utah, but here you're a good kid or you're not, and you own it instead of trying to be both. And Logan tells Cody, you can be both, and he's smiling. And Cody warns Logan to be wise with what he does in his life. Even the best kid will eventually have a drink or try a joint or experiment with stuff. And it's natural. It's a part of life. And it's a part of growing and experiencing things and maturing and learning what's for you, what's not for you. You can be a good kid and a good student who occasionally blazes 
who occasionally has a beer at a party without being a bad kid. Not that I'm condoning that, but most kids, and you have to be very careful, I'm not advocating experimenting, but most kids are going to do it and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad kid if they experiment. It's a part of life. And I just don't think it's so black and white that if you try these things or if you do them occasionally, that means you're bad. And if you don't do them at all, you're either good or you're either bad. It's either black or it's white. That's not how life is. There's a lot of gray. And I think Logan is pointing out that life isn't black and white. The world is gray. Cody fails to see the gray. Most people fail to see the gray. And the world is gray. Everything in life is gray. It's not all good or all bad or all one way or all another way. You're not only on one end of the spectrum or the other. There's gray. There's an in-between. And most people fall in that in-between. People perceived as good do bad things, and people perceived as bad do good things as well. The world isn't as black and white as Cody sees it at all. Cody asks his wives, are there any more temptations for us? And he asks the adults if gambling is a temptation for any of them. Robin says she doesn't even know how to gamble. Yeah, it would probably break her brain. It's really hard. Kelty explains that if you get three cherries in a row... And Cody tells McKelty he doesn't want McKelty to even know what it is. Listen, even a five-year-old gets a slot machine and the basics at least. All of them know the concept of the slot machine and that three pictures in a row have to match. The next question is from Evelyn. I love this question because it really gets under their skin. She asks, What does that man take to take care of all of those women in the bedroom? Because she would like some of that for her husband. I'm sure Evelyn is referring to that little blue pill, but if I were her, I would say, just try some cannabis. Now, seriously, we know Cody stopped having sex with Mary around the time of Vegas, and he wasn't intimate with Christine that often, I can't speak on Janelle, but we know he was super intimate, as they like to refer to sex, with Robin. And in a little bit, we're going to learn that Robin accidentally outs herself as the bedroom wife. Cody has no idea. He says he doesn't know how to answer this one. Cody is probably only banging one wife at this point. So that's how Cody handles all for women. He's only really sleeping actively with one. The teens are bent out of shape shouting, what? Making gross out faces. And Cody asks them to exit stage right. There are lots of ews and oh my gods. And Logan wants to know why Cody didn't just send them out first before reading the question. Cody is all smiles. He's grinning ear to ear. And he asks, do you guys all feel a little sleazy or dirty? As the teens are hurrying to exit, Mary asks, are you guys saying that you don't want to stay here and hear the answer to that question? Cody is just grinning, shit-eating grin, ear to ear, and I think despite the fact that he is only hooking up with one wife, maybe two of his wives at this point, he still loves the idea that this woman perceives him as being some type of stallion, insatiable, capable of satisfying four women, all of the time. Cody's ego absolutely loves this when we all know from later seasons that Cody was basically only forking one wife really at this point. Cody is not willing to discuss it. He doesn't feel comfortable answering the question. And Mary says they won't answer this question to the public at all. The next question is, is there a toilet cleaning wife? A shopping at the mall wife? of being in charge of taking the kids to soccer practice wife and a wife that's for the bedroom? Because the viewer asking the question would want to be the shopping at the mall wife. Mary thinks all of the women, all of the wives are all four. They're all all four of those. Christine says each wife is all four of them, but the difference is they don't have to be. Robin takes the time to show what a Mother Teresa she is when she answers this one. She wants everyone to know how kind and loving and giving she is, the empath she is. What a Mother Teresa she is. 
Mother Teresa can't even hold a candle to Robin. Robin wants her kindness to be known and she wants it to shine front and center. So she divulges that when Christine had Truly, she went over to Christine's house and she cleaned her bathroom and her bedroom for her. Yes, and let's not forget, Robin also had a makeout session with Cody as Christine was alone in the hospital after her water had just broken and she was alone waiting for Cody to brush back to her. Robin continues on that she was also the mall wife. We know Robin, we know Robin loves racking up that debt at Victoria's Secret. You can never have too many thongs and too many push-up bras. She needs it for that best customer service. Robin loves racking up that debt at Victoria's Secret. And she has no problem with it. I mean, the other wives pay it off for her anyways eventually. No problem. Robin says she was the cleaning the toilet wife. She then says, I, and she's about to say something, and we can tell she's getting to the bedroom wife thing. And she says, yeah, anyways. And then she starts laughing hysterically. And she's very socially awkward. And I think she might have almost said she was the bedroom wife here. Mary starts laughing too because Robin was about to divulge that she is the sex machine wife who pleases her best customer. But she stops herself. She's laughing. She starts getting red and she covers herself. She covers the side of her face with her sweater. And she says, oh, wow, I just really need to. And she clearly was about to say and address the bedroom wife thing, but she doesn't want to say she is the bedroom wife. It would be immodest, but it almost spilled out. She wants us to know without saying it. God forbid. Robin gets shy. She gets really giggly and she says, She is over. She is done with this one because she knows what was about to come out of her mouth. The next question asks, how many wives a man can marry in their religion? And Cody explains that they're Mormon fundamentalists. They aren't the same church as the Mormon church. And he would compare the difference to Catholics and Protestants. As far as how many wives a man can marry, there is no specific limit But Cody says it gets crazy after four. Cody recalls that Brigham Young had 27 plus wives. Cody says for him, he wants to be able to make sure that he is nurturing and respecting every single one of the relationships. And he says as long as he's able to do that, then they're all in a safe place. Mary adds that when she and Cody got married, they decided that they wanted to pursue this religious choice. They knew they were going to have other wives. And Cody explains that they knew Janelle and they knew Christine, but they had courted a woman for a long time and Mary was very close to this woman and they chose not to marry her. And Mary says it wasn't right for the family and it probably wasn't right for the woman either. Now, I wonder, is this woman that they mentioned courting that didn't work out, the minor Cody courted that he had to wait for to turn 18 to get engaged to her, who called off the wedding a week before it was set to take place? If it is, per the book, I believe she called it off. And it wasn't that the family decided it wasn't right. She called it off. She called off the wedding. And this child, this minor, was introduced to Cody and Mary by Christine, who brought her to a church function. And Christine felt that it was inappropriate and the girl was too young. And when the wedding was called off a week before the wedding was supposed to take place, Mary called Christine and told her the wedding wasn't happening. And later on, Cody called Christine. And Christine was excited that she got this call from Cody. She was infatuated with him and she was hoping that she was going to be the next woman who was to be brought into the family. But Cody called Christine with the news that he was marrying Janelle and that upset her a lot. And here are a few excerpts about that situation with the failed courtship from becoming sister wives. Now, at this point, Christine was staying at the family ranch in Wyoming with Cody's sister for a time before her courtship with Cody. 
when she knew she was infatuated with him and Cody could care less. And everyone knew Christine had a big thing for Cody Brown. This is what she writes. While I was living with the Browns, a local family started to express their interest in our faith. They had a daughter who, on one visit, spotted a picture of Cody. The minute I saw her look at it, I knew she'd be interested in him. I felt very threatened by her. She was beautiful and thin, and I was immediately afraid she'd catch Cody's eye. A few months after I met her, this girl was invited to come to an event in Utah for the younger members of our faith. Since I was going down, it fell to me to drive her and to introduce her to some of my friends. Not doing so would have appeared selfish. I drove the new girl and her brothers to Utah. The whole ride down, I kept saying to myself, What are you doing, you idiot? I was completely threatened by her. When I got to the youth event, I immediately realized that all of my fears were all founded. Right away, Cody and Mary took particular notice of her. Their interest was overwhelming and undeniable. I was heartbroken and jealous, tortured by the fact that Cody seemed to find her more attractive than me. To make things worse, she and Mary hit it off immediately. They became inseparable, instantaneous best friends. One morning after I returned from the ranch, Cody and Mary came to pick me up. We'd made plans to spend the day together in the city. Before we left, we lingered on the porch of my parents' house. Cody and Mary had strange looks on their faces. They seemed excited, but a little nervous. They then told me that they were courting the girl I'd introduced them to at the youth conference. I was devastated. It ruined my day. In fact, it ruined my year. I decided then and there that I was not going to marry Cody, no matter what happened. It wasn't because of Cody, it was because of the girl he and Mary were courting. She was too young and too cute, and I just couldn't see her in my future. I broke off the friendship. I couldn't be around Cody and Mary while they were courting someone else. And Christine continues, Even though I'd cut myself off from a lot of my friends, Mary and I still talked on the phone from time to time. I resisted these phone calls because I didn't want to hear about the courtship. It had been prolonged because Cody and Mary wanted to wait for the girl they were courting to turn 18 before making their engagement official. Even though I wanted nothing to do with it, I heard when they got engaged, and I knew when they set the date for the wedding. A week before the wedding, I received a phone call. I was standing in the kitchen when I answered the phone. It was Mary on the other end of the line. My heart nearly exploded with joy when Mary explained that the wedding had been called off. It was the happiest day of my life. Now, after this, of course, Cody called Christine with the news that he was going to marry Janelle. And she was heartbroken, of course. And Cody eventually married Christine. But he later admits in later seasons that it wasn't romantic for him. He was grossed out by Christine, in fact, and her eating nachos. He admits later on that he married Christine because she was polygamy royalty, because of her status in the church and the clout that it would bring him. And Cody wasn't in love, even though for Christine it was romantic. I am just so happy that Christine is with a guy that makes her happy, who seems to love Christine as she is, including the way she devours nachos. And there are very amusing photos of Christine and her fiancé. I don't know if he's still her fiancé or now her husband, David, and he is feeding her nachos and they're totally trolling and it's hilarious and adorable. And I love that she found someone. It makes me so happy for her. Cody says that they take this very seriously And they take courting very seriously and bringing wives in very seriously. Christine thinks four is a lovely number and she is fine with being done. That's how she feels and she makes it known. Christine thinks that the wives compliment each other quite well. 
They have four very distinct different personalities and she likes it like this. The next question asks Cody, being that he has four wives, is there ever a time that someone isn't mad at him? Janelle doesn't know if there ever is and Cody says there are lots of times when everybody is at a good spot. Mary says she isn't mad at Cody right now and he asks Robin if she is. She isn't, of course. Christine is kind of mad at Cody right now. Janelle isn't mad at Cody right now. Cody thinks monogamous guys look at it as my wife is mad at me all of the time, but they get to a place where they just don't care. But Cody says he can't live like that because he needs the harmony in these relationships. Robin has to be heard, of course. So Robin gives her perspective. One of the things she saw with her parents living in a plural marriage is her mom, the mom who seems to enable Robin and supports her delusions that she is the Brown family scapegoat. Her mom set aside her pettiness and she made it about what her husband did right because she didn't have a lot of time to fight with him. Robin says she tries to do that with her relationship with Cody and she tries to not bring up dumb little things. Cody says you have to exploit the things that are wonderful and ignore the things that are not. Yes, ignore anything inconvenient so it just magically evaporates into thin air. And just focus on the best customer service and the adulation and the ego feasts. Be convenient for your husband. Be convenient to Cody so it all works out well for you. Ignore the stupid little things. Ignore your feelings. Ignore the issues. And just exploit the good stuff. Use the fuck out of it till there is nothing left to take and no one has anything to give. That makes total sense. Treat your husband like your best customer. Ignore the bad. Buy a rug. Do lots of shoving. That's the secret to a truly happy marriage, guys. Coming straight from Robin's mouth. The wife who prides herself on treating Cody, her husband, like her best customer. The next question asks, with so many kids, how is college going to be paid for when each show has shown how hard finances are for the Brown family? And Cody asks how they are different from every other family in the United States. Janelle adds that she worked through college and she paid her tuition. And they, in a perfect world, want to pay for all the children's college tuitions, that would be ideal and they will do what they can, but the kids will have to do their part too. And Robin adds that not all the kids will go to college. And she says as much as they push and promote and sell college to them, not all of them will go. And Janelle insists all the kids are going to college and Cody does too. And Christine and Mary seem to agree with this. Only Robin feels that not all the kids will go. For her, in my opinion, she knows that there will be more money for her and for her kids if not all of the kids go to college. So it's no surprise that she would be fine and happy if they all didn't go to college. Janelle suggests that all of them will at least get some sort of trade education, if not college. It's trade education or college, but they will go. Robin is laughing and everyone else is very serious and Cody insists that they have all got to go to college. And Robin adds that when the kids are 18 years old, that they don't get to decide for them as parents. And Robin is acting very nonchalant and blasé and she's mocking this. She's rolling her eyes. She's laughing. This is coming from the same lady who said the kids can't be exposed to youth groups from other faiths because their frontal lobe isn't fully formed yet. The frontal lobe isn't fully formed at 18. But here, Robin wants to let Cody know the kids get to decide for themselves at 18 if they want to go to college or not, and not all the kids will want to go. Because, in my opinion, for her, she is pushing that it's up to the kids. The kids get to decide at 18. They have to decide for themselves, because this is money that will go to her and her kids 
rather than the extensive, endless college tuitions the Browns will have to chip in on. So now, now that it's something that affects her financially, the frontal lobe is no longer a concern. It doesn't matter if they decide to go to college or not. They can't choose to go to a different youth group from a different faith because their frontal lobe isn't fully developed, but they can choose if they want to go to college or not, and that also will affect Robin and her kids financially and she is the one still having kids who has the youngest kids so for her if some kids decide they don't want to go to college that's no sweat off her back the frontal lobe in this case isn't a concern now the kids should have a choice because it benefits her if less money goes towards higher education for the kids in the family so now Robin isn't mentioning the frontal lobe the kids can choose not to go to college no problem not to get a trade education not to get any higher education. That's no problem. The kids can't choose their religion. Their frontal lobe isn't fully formed yet, but they can choose to opt out of school because it benefits her. And she knows she's the only one having kids still. And if all the kids have tuitions, her kids will be left with less, less financially, less money. And that's why, in my opinion, she is being so chill about this and so relaxed, and there is no talk of frontal lobes, and there is very live and let live, hands-free, let the kids decide, they're 18, it's their choice. There is no talk of frontal lobes here because it will affect Robin and her kids financially in the end if all the kids were to decide to pick a higher education. Cody lets Robin know he hopes he doesn't get any kickback on this because... It really is wise for their children to all go to college. The next question asks, since there is more than one mom, who pulls rank? Mary thinks it depends on which child it is. Janelle explains she pulls more rank with her own kids than the other mothers would. But if she is not there, if she's absent, the other moms are in charge. And Cody says he pulls rank. He thinks when it comes down to it, if the kids need course correction, that is where he gets involved. Really, Cody gets involved when the kids need course correction. Cody gets involved, he pulls rank when there is a need of course correction. Do you guys remember the incident around Christmas when they get the Christmas tree and Gabe and his sibling are fighting and Gabe hits his brother in the nose and there's blood everywhere, there's a huge kerfuffle and Cody couldn't be bothered, he stays completely out of it and Janelle is overwhelmed and she could have used Cody's help and Cody completely ignores the situation claiming he didn't need to get involved, he was busy tying the tree to the top of the van and he couldn't be bothered to be inconvenienced. But here Cody is the tough guy, he pulls rank, he gets involved, he is hands-on with the course correction. Now, when that fight happened, Cody completely ignored it and he made excuses for ignoring it. So his words don't match his actions as a father really at all. They flash back to a scene of Gabe and his sister Savannah play fighting. And Cody tells Gabe he doesn't get to bully his sister. And Gabe tells Cody Savannah was attacking him. He was doing something. And Cody explains... Savannah was just wanting to play with him and Cody tells Gabe he can't be mean to her and Gabe tells Cody he was just using self-defense. This is not a serious incident or anything like that. It's just two kids playing, two siblings playing. Cody isn't buying that it was self-defense and Cody in this flashback scene explains to Gabe that Savannah was the one hurting and Cody tells Gabe to say, all right, dad, I'll behave. I'll be a gentleman. Gabe doesn't take his father seriously at all. He's laughing. I think he just really wanted attention from his dad. I think this kid is screaming out for attention, just like when they got the Christmas tree and he was acting out. It was probably mainly all about getting attention from Cody, his father, who could not be bothered, who could not be inconvenienced. Mary thinks ultimately it's just about teamwork in parenting the kids. The next question asks, what type of hair products Cotex uses. Yes, let us know so we can all stay away from them. They flash back to different scenes of Cody doing his barely their hair, fluffing it like a mad scientist to cover up the bald spots. Cody uses stuff to make his hair grow and he uses a cleanser, a scalp therapy, and a follicle booster to keep him from being bald. 
Then he towel dries or he blow dries his hair. Robin says it's quite the process to watch. Now I wonder, does Cody flex in the mirror as he styles his hair? Somehow I think so. The next question asks, what would happen if one of the sister wives were to pass away? The viewer asks if another wife would assume the parental rights of the children. Cody thinks it's a good, intelligent question. And Mary says, absolutely. She explains how her sister had colon cancer. And before she passed, her husband went to his other wife, her sister's sister wife, and Mary's sister's sister wife. And Mary's sister's husband were discussing how the sister wife would have the kids move in to her house. And Mary's sister's sister wife said she would move into the kids' house and raise the kids in their home that they already knew that they grew up in because they have already had more upheaval in their lives than they need. So that sister wife moved into Mary's sister's home and she is raising the kids and it's been six years since Mary's sister passed and the sister wife is great with the kids. She's raising them the way her sister would have wanted. And the sister wife didn't have to take on four younger kids, but she did along with her kids. So it has made Mary realize the blessing that this lifestyle can be for them if something like that happens. And she says if something happened to her, she would have Leo stay with one of her sister wives. It's not even a question. I would really love to see an uncensored viewer question episode now where the wives and Cody and some of the older kids get really candid and honest about the situation, but I doubt we'll see that. That does it for this episode. I'll be back next week with the next episode of My Sister Wives Rewatch, Sister Wives Season 4, Episode 11, Leaving the Nest. Logan decides which college he is attending, and Cody and the wives are on the verge of fulfilling their dream and bringing the family back together. Wet bars and all. To my YouTube listeners, don't forget to like, subscribe, and let me know your thoughts in the comments section if you like. To all my podcast listeners, don't forget to follow this podcast and rate it with all the stars wherever you listen. Thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye.